We're continuing the message series that we started two weeks ago called Future Family, as you heard. And uh, just as a way of showing a quick response, how many of you were here in maybe the last one or two weeks and really were able to put into practice some of the things we learned from Dr. Nicholas? Ooh. Yeah. It was, it was very meaningful to my family, I know. We've made some adjustments as we try to live out what it might mean to practice a Sabbath as a family. So if you missed that, definitely jump online. The audio is available for both weeks. The video is available for one of the weeks. You want to catch up on that and uh, kind of maybe get your family in alignment with God's word on that one issue. So today we're going to talk about future family, and we're going to talk a little bit about build lives as well. And we wanted to continue this series as we talked about build lives because we think that this new facility that we're building up off of Liberty Way is critical to the future of the families in our church and the future families that God is going to be sending us. And being in church as a family is just something that is near and dear to Ben's heart and my heart. If you didn't know this, Ben and I are brothers. I know it's hard to tell because I'm a lot thinner and prettier and um, just kind of, we don't look at all alike. But uh, we're brothers. And about eight years ago in 2004, a little over eight now, it seems, in one, on the one hand, it seems like no time ago. On the other hand, it seems like 60 years. Right. But about eight years ago, we started uh, this church, Four Corners Church, along with some other people that helped us get it rolling. And um, to us, that idea of starting Four Corners, we feel like was a call from God. But really, that call from God became developed and was probably planted in our hearts way back when we were little kids growing up together. For our mom and dad, going to church as a family was critically important. Following Jesus, both personally and as a family, was critically important to them. And they ingrained that in our hearts. And it's no accident and it's not a coincidence that we're standing up here on stage today together, doing ministry together, because the big commitment that our family had to church and to Jesus. And we wanted to share a little bit with you about that today, give you some updates on where we're going as a church, and maybe call you to something greater than you would have been called to had you not shown up today. But as I was thinking about sharing today, I was thinking about a lot of the, the just memories I have growing up in church. And one of my favorite ones, and I think I've shared this before uh, on stage, but my, uh, my mom and my dad, from the minute they gave their hearts to Jesus, from the minute they got saved, they became active volunteers in their church. They didn't do anything glamorous. I mean, they weren't like, you know, running sound or being Sunday school teachers or anything like that. They started out as kind of the janitors of the church. No one else wanted to do it. And they thought, well, we can clean toilets and we can mop floors. So they started doing that. Yeah. And then my dad also decided that he wanted to be the bus driver for this bus ministry that the church was wanting to develop. And um, I remember some of my very earliest memories of church weren't sitting in Sunday school listening to the teacher or sitting in the service listening to anything else. It was sitting next to my dad on a little, uh, like, miniature bar stool that they have in, in schools for kids, or they used to, right beside of him while he was driving the bus uh, down the streets of Chicago. In inner city Chicago, you have to get the picture here, a 66-passenger bus, inner city Chicago. Now, the streets are narrow, and my dad sometimes would have to do, like, a five-point turn yeah. to turn the corner. And our job, we would argue over who would get to do it, would be to press the door open button which would make the lights come on in yeah. the door. And we thought that was the coolest thing. And Remember, it wasn't really in a button. It was that big metal oh, lever that, you had to right. murr. Yeah, to pull the yeah. thing. And then, and then it would be brutal cold. I mean, Chicago winters are, are pretty chilly. And the only real heater that worked in that bus was right up by the driver. And we would turn that vent and try to focus it right on us and just, you know, forget about everybody else behind us. It was yeah. pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> and that would start off at like 5 in the morning in yeah. Chicago while we made our routes around, around the city. That's exactly right. Now, what we want to do today is we want to talk with you about how family and church can intersect in a way that leads people change. And the truth is, is Greg and I here, now listen to this truth, Greg and I experienced it as a commitment to church, but what it really was was a commitment to Jesus. M my mom and dad's life were changed by Jesus. That's powerful. What we experienced in our family was a change in routine, largely as it related to church. Long before Greg and I went to school, went to seminary to learn about theology and the proper words to have an engaging and intellectual conversation about Jesus or about the Bible or about religion, we understood intuitively because of the practice of our family what was happening in and around church. Let, let me tell you just how simple and clear it was to us. Our church friends became our family. They really did. My parents were displaced out of Appalachia into Chicago. Greg and I never lived in Appalachia, although sometimes we get, we get called rednecks. Yeah. Uh, 
But we never, we never lived there. We, we grew up in inner city Chicago. I think we have the DNA of Appalachia. Though. We do, Greg. We, do. It's yeah. a, um, we, we grew up in inner city Chicago, and so our family was all back in the hills of West Virginia, and yet our church became our family. Those ladies and men became our aunts and uncles. Yeah. The kids in the Sunday school class or in the student ministry, they became our cousins. And that became our, our life in a very healthy and vibrant and life-giving way. It was, it was life-changing for us. So what we didn't understand on an intellectual level or on a developmental level about what Jesus could do in a person's life, we experienced regularly the change the church was bringing into our life. And yeah. that started a series of events that changed the entire trajectory of my life and my kids' life. And I'm telling you, it will change my grandkids' life. One of the reasons we started this church wasn't so that people would fall in love with church. Maybe that's how kids do it. Hey, when are we going back to church? Are they going to have the bounties? It's so much fun there. Maybe that's how kids talk about it. But we wanted moms and dads to have a fall-in-love relationship with Jesus and with his bride, the church, in a way that would transform families. And man, we have seen that happen, haven't we? Yeah, we've seen it, I mean, from the very get-go. I remember, most of you know Bubba around here. Bubba is one of the guys that you probably see out front greeting. Woo! Yeah. He always he, gets a hand He's up. so popular, I can't stand him. <laughs> he, he's a good guy, but he showed up, uh, we didn't know him for, from anyone. He showed up as a guest of someone on our very first Sunday and uh, if I could sit up here and share with you for hours just a number of stories of Bubba and the life change in him, it'd be spectacular. But even more recently than eight years ago when Bubba first showed up, we've had something in our congregation just recently that might be just a good indication of kind of the importance of church yes. and the feeling of family that can be created there so that when things happen in life, uh, whether they're good and you can, people can celebrate with you or they're not so good and maybe people can mourn with you or rally around you, the church is a pretty powerful tool in the lives of people. You know, Greg, um, here we are in the middle of this Build Life things where we're trying to create this tool so that more people can be impacted. Um, and in the middle of that, sometimes just with the work and the, the honestly, added stress, great excitement, but a lot of challenge, I mean, as all good things li in life are, um, God gave us this amazing snapshot of why we do what we do. And it yeah. didn't come wrapped in a pretty little bow. It came wrapped in kind of a messy thing. Uh, in eight years as a church, we've never had a funeral. Now, folks in the church have, have lost loved ones, but we've never had somebody from within our congregation, you know, go on to be with the Lord. And uh, just, just a week and a half ago, two weeks now, um, we had exactly that thing happen. Yeah. Um, a, a lady in our church was uh, diagnosed with, with uh, pancreatic. pancreatic cancer. And we thought she had months at the minimum, and maybe if God was going to touch her and you know, work through the doctor, she, maybe she'd have a long time. Right. And that's, that's kind of the direction we prayed. And it ended up being three weeks after her first chemo treatment, um, we, we think, uh, a blood clot um, went to her brain. She fell asleep, but she was sleeping, no pain. And we went through our first funeral. And, and I watched, let me, let me tell you, some of you were involved in this, but I watched our congregation rise up in prayer, in words of encouragement, in bringing food, in, in money. Our, yeah. our people from the community in our church gave this family like $2,200. Yeah, um, even more than that now has come in, yeah. And, and I saw the church be the church. And I saw this family that was going through a time where it knocked the wind out of their sails, legitimately. I mean, who, who would blame them? I saw the church rally and be the church. And I thought, my God, Lord, you've done it. I mean, here we are, as imperfect and broken as we are, you've begun to make something beautiful out of us that at times when it really matters. I mean, we do this because we think everybody will spend eternity somewhere. At a time when it really matters, you, you have shown up in a powerful way, and you've been glorified in the church. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're sitting there, uh, that was last week, I La believe. Yeah, just last and, week. And, um, you know, just a few weeks away from opening the doors of our new facility, and that just a great reminder of, the importance of, of Jesus in our lives. I mean, the, the lady who went on to be with the Lord gave her life to Jesus at this church, and her kids' lives have been changed at this church, and her husband's life has been changed at this church. And then what was powerful to me is to sit during the funeral service and hear people from our congregation share stories about this lady and to see people in our congregation cry with the family and hug the kids and, you know, 
buy things for the family and just, just be there in the way that, that you would want someone to be there for you when you have a tragedy happen in your own life. You know, wh- wh- one more thing that was really cool, and I, I didn't understand it all at the time. I, I don't know, know what this was all about, but uh, wh- why it happened. But w- when I went to the hospital the first time, I was actually getting ready to do a wedding, and my phone was just being lit up. So I finally, hey, you know, what, what's going on? And I, she's like, you need to come see me. I'm in the hospital. They don't know what's going on. It might be cancer. I just need to talk to somebody. So, so when I showed up, I do, I do what I normally do. I, you know, what are the doctors telling you? Um, how would you like me to pray? These, these are kind of questions you ask if you guys are doing hospital visits. Those are good questions. And then I said, hey, l- let me just ask you. Let me just be direct. H- h- have you come to that point where you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And she said, then I have. And I, I said, listen, listen, let me drill down because this is really important. Do you mean to say to me that you've acknowledged you're a sinner and you've received the grace of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Because, you know, right now this is an important time. She's like, I have. That truth, knowing that that happened in this community, was such a gift to me. But at the, at the, at the funeral, cousin after cousin who had maybe not had much contact over the last few years said, we had no idea that it happened. We feel so grateful that there was a church like your church sharing that message because that's the most important thing to us and as a family we just weren't able to talk about it as clearly mm-hmm. thank you for doing that for us and i thought lord this is this is you know one snapshot of what the church is like right and as we're getting so close to opening the doors and just a little bit of hard work and a little bit more money to go to get the doors open on our new facility we wanted to share with you this week just the core of why we're doing it the reason why we're building this facility in the first place and why it's so important to our community, not only those of us who are here now, but for everyone that God's going to send our way because it's not about drywall and studs and screws and nails and carpet and paint and, you know, trees in the kids' area. It's it's about eternity. It is. And even the here and now and about community and creating something that this world has been longing for since the very beginning— uh, of their, the first, the, from, from the time the first sin happened in this world, longing for something to make things right. And uh, that's why we're so adamant about what we do and why we're so passionate about what we do. And we want to get you on fire for that thing instead of the building here today. Yeah. And Greg, I know that when a person gets on fire about the church, and what, what, I'm going to take a moment to talk about that. I'm not talking about like just four corners, although I think we're a good church. We're not a perfect church. We're a good church. When a person gets on fire about church, the normal thing that happens, not the exception, the normal thing that happens is their patterns in their life begin to get tweaked. Mm-hmm. They hear sermons like, like you and Amy did, Jill and I did over the last couple of weeks. We went home and we made changes. Those small tweaks in our changes, those leaving out the values that we probably already believe but aren't fully engaged, or the new discoveries we make, when we live those out, it literally changes. It transforms a family. Yeah. Uh, one of our favorite authors, a guy by the name of Andy Stanley, says it this way, that it's not where you intend to go that matters. It's not, so in other words, it's not just your heart that matters. It matters the steps you take to get to where you want to go. The real change happens as we begin to make changes. Mm-hmm. Well, when people engage church in a healthy way, they set us out time for Sabbath. They come and they open up their heart as the pages of God's Word are open. We lift up our voice to an awesome God and we're reminded that this world is not just what we see, but there's an author and a creator and a sustainer behind it all. And we sing out to him and we pray and we lift up each other. When we do that stuff regularly and when our kids come and they hear stories about Jesus and from the scriptures that gives values into their life, it literally begins to, to change. And the change sometimes can look so subtle. Mm-hmm. But over, their li- over the life, that little change that was made 20 or 30 years ago, now 20 years lived out puts you in a very different place. Yeah. And it is such a powerful place. Now listen, that journey, church, you, you guys know this, church is messy. Life is messy. But that journey with Jesus in the church is powerful. I like what Jesus said to Peter. It's not my, my one verse text today, but he, they, they were on the verge of Jesus going to the cross and all that stuff. And their world was about to fall apart on a level they couldn't even understand. And he says to Peter one day, he says, um, you know, to the, all the disciples, who do, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter responds after several other answers. He says, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, listen, he says, look, you don't know that just through your own knowledge. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. But my father in heaven told you that. And then he says to Peter, and you're Peter. And on this rock, Petros is Greek for rock. On you, Peter, on this confession, on what God's doing in your life, 
I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's, it's an interesting turn of words because gates are a defensive tool. The idea is that the church will advance into darkness, and the gates of hell will not be able to sustain the, the onslaught of the church into making a difference in this world. The gates of hell will be bust open wide, and we literally, as the church, will go and take back from the enemy what has been stolen from us. And I've seen that happen in the lives of families around this church as people have literally taken back the call of God on their lives. You know, I, well, interesting thing. How many people in our church have discovered their purpose in terms of it's a ministry or it's a way that they're going to earn money over here, but that's not really what their life's about. It's really about this thing. It's how they engage people as they earn a living. How many wives and, and moms have said, I've learned a new way to do the thing that's most important to me? Yeah, I mean, just over the last year, 18 months, we've had several people leave our congregation to go work in other ministries to start new churches. Two, two three new churches have been started out of people who are at this church uh, and kind of built a foundation they didn't have prior to go out and continue to do ministry. It really has changed lives. Even over the last two weeks, as we've heard Dr. Nick talk to us about Sabbath, our, 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 my family has pushed in uh, aggressively, offensively, uh, into something that was healthy for our family. And we're like you guys, Amy and I. We have three kids. It's out of control. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even sure who's in control in our family. And it's Ava. It, yeah, it's definitely daughter. my youngest daughter. I didn't want to admit that, but that's true. And, uh, you know, we'd gotten to the place where we're involved in a lot of things. We're involved in church, and we both work, and my kids are involved in sports, on select teams now this year. And it's our, our calendars are absolutely crazy. And Sundays, which used to be a day for us that was the one day that was kind of guarded for the most part, and we could spend it together and just kind of relax together. We lay on the couch together and watch a movie or watch football. It had become something far from that. Honestly, it had become one of my most stressful days, and even me having, you know, been in church all my life and gone to seminary and helping lead a church, I'd lost sight of something that was one of the basic truths in the Bible, to set aside time to be with family and to worship God. And we kind of claimed that back for the last couple of weeks, yeah. and it, it's changed our family. Yeah. Yeah, J Jill and I, the same thing. Um, Jill, after that first week, she's like, we're going to have a few more meals at home regularly, and we're going to set out this time for us as a family to be here. It's a huge deal. You know, let me, let me tell you something, guys, why, why church is important. You realize that wherever biblical Christianity is practiced in a culture, now listen, this, this is near and dear to my heart, it's election time, um, and there's a lot of talk and a lot of promises being made. But one of the clear indicators of history is this, that wherever biblical Christianity is being lived out, the quality of life of women and children is, ra is raised. It is. You look at the cultures where biblical Christianity is infused, I'm not talking about having a Christian culture or a Christian society. We can have those debates later. Forget all the political junk. God has ordained it that when people live by biblical patterns in their family, the, the status of everybody is lifted. Women are elevated to the place where they're seen as somebody made equally in the image of God. That doesn't happen around the world as a normal course of events. It happens when people begin to live out the claim of Jesus and they begin to be the church. It's lifted. Children are cared for on a level that around the world they're not. Around the world, children are still a commodity. You can still buy and sell kids in three-fourths of the world. It happens regularly. But where biblical Christianity is lived out, when we started this church, our hope was that all of us would be raised to that level of place where the Bible has had several words to describe it. It, it calls it the abundant life. The, the idea in that, in that word is that it's here and now, but it's above and beyond. Sometimes it's called life everlasting. It's that what God begins here goes on. Sometimes it's called the eternal life. Sometimes it's called the, the spirit-filled life. It's all an indicator of what happens when, the, when God's word and truth, and, and you're open to it, and it gets planted in your heart, and it begins to grow, and it begins to reach out and touch every area of life. That's why we did this whole thing. Yeah, so today we want to give you an update on where we're at with this building that we're building. But prior to that, we wanted to just kind of set the parameter, remind you of the heart of what it really is all about, what, why Four Corners even began eight years ago. And when we start giving you some details about timelines and money and labor and that sort of stuff, we want you to remember what we just talked about over the past 15 to 20 minutes. 
hear what we're saying about the update, but remember why it is that we're doing this in the first place, because we don't think that God is finished with Four Corners yet. No. We think there are a lot more families in the neighborhoods that you live in and the communities you're involved in who need a little bit more of Jesus in their life. Maybe they don't know him at all, and they need to be introduced to him, or maybe they know him, but they're just not actively engaging their faith. And Maybe they, they know him well, but they're just not plugged into a good family of Christians, a church where they love to go, and they're excited about waking up early on a Sunday morning. They're excited about serving and getting their hands dirty for the work of Jesus in this world. While we're telling you about numbers and timelines and all that and maybe asking you for a little bit more help in building and a little bit more money if you can, we want you to remember why it is and why we think it's so critical that we finish this thing strong. Yeah. When we started, um, we, we started actually right here in this room. Um, it, it was a crazy, crazy series of events. There was only a handful of churches around the country doing church in a theater at that time. Only a handful. I'd only heard of one, and I investigated with that fast some of the details, and we thought, hey, we're, we're going to try to make this happen here. N- now, literally, almost every city has a church meeting, and several even in, in our area. Yeah. But I got asked all the times by pastors who were seasoned and wise, well, where, where, where's your building? What, what are you going to do? And we just had this radical notion that the church wasn't a building. It really was the people of God, and we could largely meet anywhere. And almost every one of them, and I'll be honest, at the time, I was smart and wiser than everybody else, and I, I, did, I ignored them. But at the time, people <laughs> would It's amazing say, how much we knew when we started oh. and how much we don't know now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like my favorite Mark Twain quote. He says, when he was 17, he can't believe how dumb his parents were. And when he turned 27, he couldn't believe how smart they got over 10 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it takes a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, but they all said to me to some degree, you know, at some point, you're going to need to get a building. Because the, the, the temporary nature of what you're doing in the facilities is going to be a limiter. And I thought, no, there's no way. But, you know, statistically, Greg, there isn't but one church in America right now out of the hundreds that meet in a theater that are able to top over 800 consistently in one space. There's just something limiting about this. You can't call together meetings that have more than 20, 25 people because you don't have a a house big enough to to meet them all in. You've got to have a place to do. And sometimes the community associates the building with the ministry, whether that's good or bad, that's what people do. And so they become almost infused in one. And we've resisted that, but it came a point, and we were reminded of it just this week ago uh, when we did this funeral. We didn't have a building to do it in. Right. Part of the biggest scramble for us is where to go do this, this funeral. And right. we called back on Zion Global. They were gracious. But when we decided we would meet here, our hope wasn't one day to go to people and say, hey, would you give a bunch of money to make this building happen? But God did a transformation in my heart about that because I really believe that what we do now, let me just tell you how I talk to my staff for a second, so it may take you a moment to get acclimated. What we do is we don't beg people to give to a need. Most of us are generous enough. If the need is compelling enough, we'll give. We, ha- we give people at this church and other churches in America too an opportunity to invest in something important. And so when we call people to, to volunteer, like we don't feel sheepish about that. We're not... We're not nervous about that i feel like if you commit several hours of your month to helping make ministry around happen it's the best several hours of your month i don't feel compelled or embarrassed to ask you about that i know what happens you know 70 percent of the folks it's in one ear and out the other they're not in a place to even ask no matter what they hear god is that you or is that just ben they they don't even ask that question but there'll be a core of us that will say i think i hear god in that request I hear the echoes of the Holy Spirit calling me. Yeah, it was Ben's words or Nate's words or Greg's words, but that was really God calling me, and they respond to the Lord that way. God did a change in my heart on this subject where he said, I felt definitively to me, Ben, you ask people to give time all the time. Why are you so embarrassed to ask people to give money? Don't you believe in this? Don't you believe in this? And when I kind of processed that, it really became for me the thing of, all right, I ask you to invest your time. Why wouldn't I ask you to give your money? And when I realized that Jesus talked about money more than anything else, and there's a reason, because greed has this crazy way of, of gripping our heart, and none of us think we're greedy. None of us, and right. I certainly don't, but the Lord has challenged me on it over and over and over again. Wouldn't I want to challenge people to take Jesus' words about money seriously? And at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't drop churches out of the sky and say, boom. He calls men and women who are, who are the church to rally around and bring their time, energy, and money together to do the work of the church. And sometimes that involves building a building. And so where we are pragmatically is, is we had hoped that today we would be in our facility for our first Sunday. Obviously, that didn't happen. If there, there might be some <laughs> folks over there right now 
but uh, they're not, you know, having a service. They're hanging drywall with, with the team there. But uh, uh, what, the whole reason why we're not there is pretty straightforward. We're doing this as a cash kind of investment. Our church is not old enough. We don't have a, a trust fund to borrow against. We don't have right. a set of assets. There's not a denomination to go to and get, get, get funding some, for this, Yeah, right. some kind of secured loan because we're all on the same page. We're paying for this by cash. And several weeks ago, we started kind of running behind on the cash flow process. Now, that's not an, an extremely negative issue because eventually it's going to happen. What it did, though, is it slowed us down. The truth is if we had enough cash coming in, we could pay contractors. We'd have been right on schedule. Right. We didn't. And so we decided that this was going to become largely a we're going to do as much work as possible kind of project because we had volunteers. We didn't have cash. But do you realize that volunteers don't work as fast as... I've seen it with my own eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we hung as volunteers over like a Friday, Saturday night. We hung like nine pieces of drywall. Yeah, I sent, yeah we sent out big emails. Hey, come hang some drywall. It's going to be great. And we did. For about a day and a half, we hung, I don't know. What did you just say? I, I thought about nine, about nine. Honestly, I think it was about nine pieces of drywall. All right, it might have been like 25. You're, okay. you're, you're underplaying it. All right. But then <laughs> in, in a half day, the, the crew that we knew was coming to help us, we were going to kind of work together. They hung, I don't know. Well, uh, by the time they're done, in, in one week's time, it'll be over 700 sheets of drywall. Yeah, so it was embarrassing what we did. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Our screws were like, you know, like zigzagging all over the place. And, and they're, they're not, like, they're and they were talking while they were doing just, it. Yeah, yeah it was so, impressive. But, but, you know, you pay for that, right? right? And so we got this incredible deal on the materials. But labor is expensive, and so several thousand dollars of our cash flow we committed because the truth was we weren't gonna we it would be It'd February be months <laughs> yeah yeah before we get in. So we made the decision to divert some money that was going to go over here and go ahead and make this commitment. And and the, the, the raw truth of it is, a few weeks ago I came to the congregation and everybody uh, not everybody but many of you ponied up and you helped us kind of get that infusion of cash to stay on process. We were about two weeks behind on that, and honestly we're about two weeks behind right now All right. in in the program. But we're at that crazy point where I. I can't in good um, integrity continue to hire contractors knowing that right now the money's not there. So let me just show you just a little bit on, on my board up here, kind of what's going on. We had over 650000 committed to this project. That's an incredible amount of money for this church. And the truth is, most of us are doing great in our commitments. That's phenomenal. Thank you. This is not, listen, some of you have given. Thank you. Some of you could not give. That's Okay. Listen, if you, if you are, like, helping your church financially in the, in the general budget and you can't do build life, that's good. You're helping make it happen around here. You're as much a part of this as anybody else. We just ask people to honestly ask what they could do, and many of you have, and you've stepped up. Of the 650000 that people have committed, about 60000 has already left our church. Let me tell you what that means. I don't mean we spent it. I mean the people that committed to this, they, they, they left Dodge. They, 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 they're, they're gone. Um, they're not dead. They just decided they didn't want to give or come to our church anymore. Uh, for whatever reasons, a lot of things happen. A lot of those people went to go start other churches. That's fine. And so that money went with them. So, so we're down to like five, 590000 But this was supposed to be given over 30 months, right? So we have 30 months there. That's awesome. We're at about month 15, right? We're at about the 15th month. And what we've tried to do is take the entire amount and bring it into now, which, as you know, money doesn't grow on trees. And so, so that's a bit hard. But we've, we've been doing it. We're well over halfway in terms of money, even though we're not well over halfway in terms of time. So we are, like, there's no complaining at all here. This is like major props to every single person. Yeah. But th the truth is, is that I've got to slow the clock down because we're just at that cash flow issue. So, so you, I don't know how much you know about money. I actually have a finance background. I been an accountant and did hotel work and church work and stuff like that, managing money. But there, there are two ways to kind of measure where you are financially. There's your general net worth, like this is how much money we have, how much we're worth. And that, that's all well and good. But when an economy gets tight, this money is irrelevant. This is irrelevant. What matters is cash flow. How much money is coming in at what time compared to how much money is going out at what time. So that's where we are. We're in a cash flow situation. We are right now, I'm going to give you exactly where we are. We're right now $60,000 out from finishing this job. That's incredible. It's incredible. Because of what we've done in terms of trimming back, it's not actually going to take almost $600,000 to finish this job. It's just not. 
And that's phase one. Not phase one. Yeah, this is getting in the building so that we don't have to pay rent here and at the new that's facility. Right. So it's not, it's, it, we have saved buku money on electric, on, um, on, on sud work, on carpeting, on furniture. We've saved so much money because honestly we've done a lot of the work. And so we're, we're doing incredibly well. But I had hoped that we'd be in by today. I had hoped we'd be in by, by, by November 11th. I had to slow down a couple of orders this week because, well, you've got to have fire doors when you have a, a big building like us. And uh, those fire doors cost us $19,000. In, mi- in my mind, um, just in a little, I was looking at about ten. And, and everywhere we turn, you know, like in my house, every time something breaks, it's three, four hundred bucks. At the church, every time we turn around, it's like four thousand dollars. So it's just different scale. So we're, you know, we're trying to manage this. We're doing incredibly well. But the truth is, is we can't hit November 11th. Right, right now, we're like November 18th. But only if we can start to turn some of the uh, the commitments you've already made into cash. So uh, one more time, if you if you're giving, thank you. This is not like I'm not trying to bleed anybody dry. But I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not embarrassed to talk about this. Right. This is like the family getting together and saying, having a family talk, here's where we are. We all want to go here. Here's what it's going to take to get there. All right. So, Ben, what we're going to do now is I'm just going to ask you some questions that if I weren't kind of on staff and knew a lot about what was going on, or many of you who are leaders in the church or regular volunteers, you're a little more familiar. I'm just going to ask you some questions that are Typical questions you might get asked uh, by maybe people who don't know a lot about what's going yeah. on. Just so maybe you can kind of give people a little more exposure to, to what we need to finish this thing. And then also, if you have a question or two you'd like us to ask in the next uh, 10 minutes, you can text those questions to me, and we'll try to hit as many as we can because we want to be as open and honest and forthcoming as we can be so that you can have all the information you need to make an informed decision about uh, your giving or, uh, or whatever you'd like to do in terms of money and time. So first one is this. Um, and just a little clarity around this issue. At the beginning of this, when it became clear that we were going to do a lot of the labor ourselves, we had a, uh, four work nights a week. In fact, we still have those. Monday nights, Wednesday nights, Friday nights, and Saturday mornings. Um, and, uh, over the push for the next two to three weeks, how much more help do we need? How important is that versus the money, which we're going to talk about in, yeah. in, in just a second? Greg, it really is a both and. Um, we're at that point where... Um, Drywall is going to be finished mostly this week. So starting Friday, well, honestly, starting Wednesday night, uh, there are going to be a couple rooms done. We can hire that painting out. But to hire out painting is extremely cash-absorbing. <laughs> Not right. that it's expensive. It's fair prices. But it's cash. So we need people to come and do rollers. Cleaning has been a massive job. Right. It's constantly dusty. And just keeping the place cleaned up, it takes hours. So people have said, you know, I'm not skilled. I'm not skilled. I'm not skilled. Most everybody can push a broom. And honestly, we do a lot of that around, around the building. So it's both in, but we, at the end of the day, we need raw cash to just keep this thing moving forward. It's not that we're running behind uh, other, anything other than our own sense of timing because we are very much on track. The money's being spent well. It's incredibly powerful what's been able to be done at this point. So what we are asking people to do, like if you've made a commitment to give X number of dollars and you're, you're, you've stretched that out, if you can accelerate that, that's what we're talking about, bringing that future money into now. Right. So originally when we started this project, the plan was if we had the money to kind of pay for it all, why don't you take just 30 seconds and tell people why the decision was made to really use a lot of our own yeah, labor it's, it's and, and the benefit that has been to the congregation. Yeah. Um, when we first started talking about this project, we went out and got three bids from three different companies, design, build. That means they design it, they build it all, you know, soup to nuts, you're done. And so... Um, all the numbers coming in were somewhere around four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars. It seemed reasonable to us. Um, we sat down. We hired our architect. He sent in numbers at about that pace. Now, in the in, in the interim of that, uh, a member of our congregation, Marv Goldsmith, who's an am- amazing guy with uh, with constructions and a significant asset of what we're doing, he kind of put it in my ear. Hey, those numbers seem low to me. It's probably going to be a lot more. But but I had four pieces of data. We made the trigger to go ahead and go with our architect's bid. And then when he gave us those soft bids and they became hard bids, there was almost almost doubled, over three hundred thousand dollars more. So what was four to five hundred thousand became seven to eight hundred thousand. Well, at that point, it's a game changer. So now we're talking right. hard numbers. All right, we're not doing this, not doing this. So we, that's why we switched gears and started doing a lot of it ourselves. Honestly, because it was either stop, regroup, or keep moving forward with some of our own process. Right. So uh, a second ago, you were explaining, I helped bring clarity to the fact that really we're talking about getting in on phase one. Phase one, thank you. Um, and so we have this facility. We decided uh, a couple years ago when we, when we landed on this location 
Um, why don't you tell people why we decided to lease this building and to finish it out versus yeah. maybe building our own brand new building on some property that we either owned or we're going to buy? Well, we, we priced out building a building, and building prices, even though the economy is slumped, the price to build a building is the same as it's always been. Almost $225 a square foot for a facility like ours. Right, for a church like what we're building. For a church like what, like what, what we're, we're building. Which is right. basically a functional building, not a lot of glitz and glam. Uh, only a couple places even get, you know, uh, two coats of paint, kids primarily, because right. they're, they're, they're messy and you have to scrub the walls. But um, <laughs> for the most part, um, it's a basic functional building. But churches, industrial or commercial buildings are just, just expensive. When we started looking at lease rates, when the economy dropped, lease rates went to, to the basement. Right, because companies were folding, people were pulling out of leases they were in, or their company was going bankrupt and they were having to, to end things. And so there became a lot of vacant buildings right. uh, with space available. So our goal became, what if we could tie up a lease space in a way that made it feel like we owned it? What if we could tie it up for 10 or 20 years? So we went out and tied up this building for 20 years, 10 with the 10 renewable. And when we're done, we'll have about one-fourth the money in it as, we, as if we had built the thing. And churches are notorious for building what they call single-use facilities. You only use them for churches. <laughs> and so that's bad. At the end of the day, if you don't like them, it's time to sell them. It's hard. You don't ever get your money back. Right. Because only a church can buy it. And typically or the SPCA. Right, exactly. <laughs> they that's right. They did that yeah. on Conray Avenue, I believe, down there. Um, so, so what we did is decided to rent a facility, but tie it up as if it was ours, which is what we've done. For literally, you know, 25% of the cost. The rent and the build-out will be about 25% of the cost to build the entire thing over 20 years, which is just remarkable. The, the challenge is then we don't have the asset itself to borrow against. Right. And so that's why it becomes a cash endeavor. Exactly. So we're doing a phase one now. Help people get their kind of expectations, especially if they haven't been out to work. We've got the facility. It's 47,000 square feet, For, I think. 44,870, 40. yeah. Uh, so tell us the size of phase one. That's good detail. Uh, <laughs> Tell us the size of phase one and kind of help people um, get their head around what they're going to yeah. expect the first Sunday that we move in. This entire building, the footprint of the rave is 88,000 square feet. When you walk in the lobby, if you took half the building, that's the footprint of our entire space. All right, to give you an idea of scale. We don't use anywhere near all of that for this current space. We're, we're building out just south of 17,000. I think it's 670, uh, six, 16,780 square feet is what we're building out. That gives us an auditorium almost exactly this size. Um, the seating's almost the same. It's almost the exact same size as Zion Global. We're on a lift here. It feels a little different. If you've been with us for a while, you know what Zion Global's like. Kids space is where you see the dramatic change. We're losing a lot of space in kids because of the risers in the theaters. All that gets kind of flattened out. And so we end up with a space that's nicer, finer, bigger than anything we've had in terms of raw square footage for phase one. And then we have, which is, you know, a third or so of the facility. We, we have a lot more of the facility to build out over time. It becomes mostly kids' space. Kids' space uh, takes up almost two-thirds of the building. The auditorium will take up about a third, and then you take off a little bit of percentages of both for the lobby. We get a really hefty lobby. Right. cool thing about phase one, we get a major lobby where people can engage and talk and hang out, and you're not rushed out the door. You're not squeezing through the, through the hallway trying to get through. So we, we really get every bit of church we need for where we are, and it gives us room to grow to the next space. By taking yeah. it all, by the way, we got a much better deal of taking it all now than have we just taken a small piece? Because you know what they do. If you take it and you're doing well, the small piece, and you want the next piece, they charge you four times the rent. Right. Or so someone can move in and take the space right. anyway. So yeah. that's why we went in and took it all. Um, and then also one of the benefits of having our own facility, if you've been around for a while, most of the time we were in existence, we've had at least two services. For a while, we had three Sunday morning services. Um, and then when we moved back to the rave, uh, because we were kind of forced out of our other uh, location, it only was an option to have one service time, given the time they would let us in versus the time we had to leave to start movies. So we'll be starting two services immediately when we move back or move into the new facility, which will, will help. I know the 945 service for some of you is a little early. It's a, it some early people, it's a little late. Um, and so uh, we'll be know, able to go back to two good services. Not only times. for us, Greg, uh, studies across the country have shown that the optimum service time for most people who don't go to church is somewhere between 1030 and 11 o'clock, 1015, 1115. That hour span right there is when most people who don't normally go to church, that's when they want to get up and come. Sunday morning, they don't get up like they do the rest of the week. Right. Now, some of us, were in a routine that doesn't matter, so we're going to be having a service at a more optimum time. We'll have a slightly earlier than now service. Do, do we know generally what those terms are? Yeah, uh, un unless something changes over the next couple of days, we've talked to some of our volunteers and some of the people who have been around with us as we've done different service times. If you've been here for a few years, you know we've toyed with that to see what's optimal for families. So it looks like we're going to land on a 9.15 and an 11. So if you like to get to church kind of early, 
not really get it out of the way, but get it out of the way and then kind of be able to, yeah. to get to whatever you want to do for the rest of your Sunday, uh, you'll be able to get out even earlier than we currently do and still not have to wake up at like 5 a.m. to, to get to, to church. Yeah. And then the 11 allows those of us who aren't morning people to sleep in a little bit, especially if you have a lot of kids and it's just kind of hard to get, get them going, especially when they're younger. Yeah. You can come out a little later and still have uh, a service that fits your timetable as well. And so 9, 15, 11 looks to be the two times that we're going to land on. That also gives us a nice buffer in between the services to really create a time for fellowship. We're going to have this lobby, but if we cram the two services too closer together, you know the feeling. It's still going to feel like you have to get out of the way because all these other people are coming in. And so we wanted to give a little breathing room between the two services so that you can hang around and talk. You can get there a little early, second service and talk and uh, hang out with some of your friends that go to the same church, or maybe even, if you're crazy, meet some new people. So um, tell us about, uh, real quickly, I know you mentioned it, and let's only take four more minutes, but not all on this one, because I got two I want to ask you. Um, Tell us about um, phase two and the timeline of that. So what you've said so far is phase one, probably not going to hit November 11th unless a financial miracle happens, Um, and that might be you. Um, <laughs> maybe the 18th, but that's going to be tight, but it's going to be somewhere around that close to Thanksgiving kind yeah. of thing. Um, what's the timeline for beginning phase two and even maybe putting some of the polish on phase one? Cause yes. we're going to move in. Thank you. We're going to be in, but it's not going to be all we wanted phase yeah. one to be because we just got to get there first. Yeah. We're trying to get out of here now because th- I mean, th- this, these folks here have been at the rave are phenomenal to us. Um, Miss Nancy and her staff, they're phenomenal and we're just so grateful, but it's not our home. And we're paying rent. So we want to get out as quickly as possible. So what I said to the staff is, we're going to get in as soon as we can get in. What that means is as soon as the fireman says, yes, the building is not going to burn down, we're moving in. And it's called an occupancy permit. Uh, the level of finish is not going to be complete. And so we may not have all the decals in place, all the internal signage, all that sort of thing in place. So we're going to come in. We hope that by December 9th, no matter when we actually start our first Sunday, to go public with our community. That's when we're going to hold our grand opening, December 9th. Now, if we get in next week, we're in. We get in the 11th, the 18th, that's when we're in. So that's what we're going to try to do. But December 9th is our public. We feel like just watching cash flow, that's almost a guarantee. We're going to take through Christmas Eve Eve service, which is going to be awesome in our new facility. We're going to take through that service all the way up to Easter and just keep beautifying the building. Now, if for some reason there's a miracle and we get a lot of cash, we'll start phase two kind of slowly right in. What we're not planning on doing is coming back and asking for more money for phase two. We plan on just kind of absorbing um, normalizing our budget, paying back the accounts that, you know, internally we've been kind of dipping into to make the, all this happen, all legal and our accountant knows. And, but, you know, we basically, we're running, you know, near empty on all of our, all of our accounts because we're just trying to make this thing happen. So we're going to normalize. Phase two will begin kind of slowly. I can imagine February or so, and we're going to start upgrading and enlarging the kids' space. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. We really believe in families. Auditorium will be functional. Um, and then as we grow, we'll keep going. Uh, phase three and four, I have no idea. It'll largely just depend on size. We're not going to build more than we need. But uh, kid space, uh, I think we'll fill the pinch right away. Not because we ha- don't get an upgrade here. I think when we get the upgrade, more kids will come. And we're kind of planning in anticipation of that. Right. And so if you're serving on a team, like, I don't know, about 250 people serve on teams around here, you'll find out details around how the new service times will affect your calendar. Many of you already have, I know. I know there's a big meeting happening Monday night at the, the building as well. So you'll begin finding out those details over the next few days if you don't already know. But um, I got like, honestly, uh, tons of questions here. So I'm trying to group a few of them together. Um, just real quick, so people will know how, how the wagon's being pulled. Generally speaking, I don't know if you have this detail, but what percentage of the congregation is kind of helping with Build Lives? Do you, do you have a oh, rough wow. idea of that? You know, I, I had very up-to-date numbers about a month ago. I honestly haven't been in the office much. You may not know this, but I have an incredible staff we have an incredible team. We love each other. We're working crazy hours. I know for me, I'm pushing 70 to 80 hours a week. That's true for most all the staff. And what that means, we haven't been in the office as much because we've literally been there turning screwdrivers. So I don't have it uh, at my beck and call, but I think we're looking at about 44% of the active congregation made a commitment to build lives financially, um, which, you know, you may hear that and go, oh, only about half. That, that's normal. Not everybody's in a place where they want to give or can give. That's fine. Um, the rest of us have always felt like we need to carry it for people who can't or won't or aren't there yet. I think the reality is if, if you are a regular attender of our church, I think everyone's heart is they'd love yeah. to give a, a lot more than they are. I, I think from the person who's given the very most, the people who can't give it all, 
I think everyone would love to give more. Yeah, so I, th I think you're right. So we, we don't worry about That's that. It's not an number. indication of the heart no. or the kind of the willingness. We, you know, we've probably had about 150 unique heads come out and help in the facility, which again represents a good number of our congregation. Um, I'd love to see those numbers grow. I, I mean, for me, somebody giving a gift of five, of five bucks, saying, look, I'm on board, but I, I can't get on board for more, but here's a token, that, that helps me just emotionally. But, but that's about where yeah, we are. Because you'd love to see 100% participation. I would love to be able to stand up and say, hey, 100% of us right. gave something what we could. And, I, and you know, I'm going to be honest, if I can just, this is not a dig, but it breaks my heart to know that people spend more money eating out after church on a Sunday morning than they've given to build lives the entire time. In one meal, they've eaten more than they've given the entire time. Just on a human level, that frustrates me because I want to go, wait, wait, right. you know, go, I'll yeah. make you a sandwich. Right. And then you can tip the church, you know. Right. That's kind of how I feel. But. All right, two questions. Make them quick, yeah. and then you're going to tell people how, how they can help. plug yeah. in, uh, either through time or giving or that sort of thing. So uh, real quickly, we've had enough experience with moving around to know how attendance patterns work when you go yeah. from one service to two or three and then back to one. So tell people what we're expecting in terms of attendance. Yeah, um, Every time the church transitions, some people use it as an opportunity to leave. Uh, we've seen that everywhere we've gone. We've taken a, a, almost a 20% hit every time we move. We don't believe that that's going to happen quite this way. We've always moved into temporary facilities. <laughs> we believe that most of us are excited about this and, and want it to happen. We expect a small dip. I don't know the number. And then we expect it to grow pretty quickly. Um, now, I can't guarantee that. But I think when people see this facility, see that we're serious about being in the community, see what we can actually offer... And uh, the values that we have as a congregation become immediately apparent the moment you walk in the door. See, I don't think people walk in this door and go, they love kids there. Right. I, don't th I think they walk into those rooms and go, oh, they did bet they could. Right. Um, that's not going to happen at our new facility. I don't think they're going to walk in and say, man, you can really make friends here. I think when you walk in our new facility, you, you see this space and you think, wow, this, this is welcoming. It's warm. It's inviting. I, I think we're going to see those values that we have kind of writ large, and I think it's going to make a, a, a very positive difference. Yep, and then one of the things I'm most excited about is set up and tear down, um, especially uh, really in every space we use in the theater. A lot of effort goes to that, and on the one hand, I think that's pretty healthy. One of my favorite things, even though I'm not a morning person, is getting up on Sunday mornings, coming out and working with the team that gets this room ready. I just, I like that, um, but the reality is a lot of labor goes into just kind of setting up and tearing down, and a lot of that can be shifted over to some maybe more important things. Um, uh, the final 10% of excellence in all the things that we yeah. do that maybe you can't do because you're in a mobile environment. The final 10% of relationship building because sometimes on a Sunday morning it's so like up to the wire on the timeline, you don't have a lot of time to talk. So I'm excited about a lot of that stuff happening. Yeah. The final question, you can answer this one in 10 seconds or less. The, the, are we going to have a, a big styrofoam Jesus, someone wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We've had touchdown Jesus. We have Hug me, Jesus. We're going to do kiss me, Jesus. I, it's going to be scandalous. That'll be real love <laughs> now. Real love now. With That's Jesus. It. I don't know. That yeah. would be awkward. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, so why don't you do some next bold steps? Yeah, why don't we'll you grab out your Connect card? Let me tell you the, uh, the, the steps I'm going to take. Hey, thanks for letting us kind of have a family talk as we're talking about future family. It's a big deal to us. We are extremely excited. There isn't a single hint of discouragement on our part. It's just that we wanted to be honest with you about what the hurdles are. What that means, if you can give extra, give extra even if you've already met your goal. If you can accelerate your giving, please accelerate your giving. If you, honestly, if you'd like, we haven't at this point borrowed any money. If you'd like to loan the church money um, to get us through this hurdle, you believe our faith and credit is good since the bank won't give us anything, um, go, ahead, go ahead and help us there. Um, but th the next steps this week are what you've heard pretty regularly around here. Next step A, if you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus, which for us, it's the core of the core. That's the starting point. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him, then Ask him to forgive your sin and make you his child. You do that by faith, the Bible says, not by living up to it or even joining a church or shaking somebody's hand. You just, God, I'm a sinner. I accept what you've done for me. Would you, would you wash me clean? I'd like to live my life for you. You can check the box A, and we'll send you some information about that in the mail, help you understand that, and we'd love to chat with you about it if you want. And the information we'll send you via email and snail mail. We'll tell you how to do that if you want to. All right, next step B. I want to get baptized um, next week. I thought we would have our first baptism in our new facility. We're actually going to have our last baptism in our old facility. And all the folks that want to get baptized are still wanting to get baptized, which is amazing. If you want to do that, check the box. We'll be in touch with you. Next step, see this week. Count on me. Now listen, this is a big deal. We've been doing it all around. I'll invest in the vision of our church through prayer and fasting. The truth is, is people have been shouldering this spiritually. You ramp up like this, there's pushback. There really is. 
And some of you have been like our prayer warriors. You're on the front line. Please don't stop. Some of you, honestly, you don't pray for your church. You don't pray for the staff. You just don't, you don't think about it. I'm asking you to think about it. Check the box. Let me send you a little email that says, hey, here's how you can help pray for us over the next few weeks. Next step, D. Count on me. I'll invest financially in the vision of our church. What I'm saying here is if you check the box, no matter what you've done up to this point, you're going to help us get to that next one. We're doing all we can. Some folks are ready to step up. They've already indicated they would. So we're going to see some change over the next week. I'm asking you to just, in a simple prayer, God, would you like me to give more? I don't have much, but what would you like me to do? And the next step, E, count on me. I'll invest time in the vision of our church. If you check this, we're going to send you some information about how you can come and serve and what you can do to get on a team around here. And then you follow up and say, here's what I plan on doing. And we all work together to make this happen. Let's pray, and then we'll sing a song to our awesome God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you blended beautifully grace and truth. You speak truth into our hearts, and you love us even when we don't live up to it. Thank you, Lord, that you've established the church to be your mouthpiece in this world, to do your work. We really are your arms, your hands extended. God, we just want to be the church. And we want families impacted for eternity. We want young men and women from this church called into ministry. We want people earning money and giving them money to your work. We want people setting aside time, no matter what they do with their lives, contributing to your mission on this earth. Help us to be the church like never before. And God, help us to get past this hurdle. We're ready to run as fast as we can run. And Father, for those that are committing their lives to you, we say thank you. They have no idea how this simple decision is going to change everything for them. They're only yet beginning to discover. We thank you. We thank you for it all. We give it all to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.